You're listening to another ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. You're listening to Women in Leadership Podcast, episode 67. Welcome to another episode of Women in Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, brand and communication strategist, also known as the Podcasting Queen. Now, according to my guest today, great leaders harness the power of their greatest asset. And I ask the question, are you? Joining me today is Linda Ray. She is a recognized internationally as a thought leader in the neuro leadership field with over 20 years in leadership development, business, people development, cultural development, and training and design delivery. Linda has completed postgraduate studies in neuroscience of leadership and her interest in neuroscience and links with leadership inspired her to develop Australia's only nationally accredited diploma of neuroscience of leadership, which has been delivered to students across the globe. Linda has pioneered the spread of neuroscience of leadership in Southeast Asia. She has presented at international and Australian conferences on topics relating to practical application of neuroscience to leadership and business practices. Now on today's show, Linda's going to share your brain is your greatest asset and yet this is something that we take for granted. She'll also be sharing understanding the power of mindset. That's key to being a great leader, as well as you've heard of emotional and social intelligence, and both are key intelligences for great leaders. But there's one other intelligence that's critical in being able to enact our emotional and social intelligence and manage our focus in environments of high distraction and overwhelm. We'll be talking more about what this other intelligence is in a moment. So welcome to the show, Linda. Thanks, Anne-Marie. It's lovely to be joining you. This interest of neuroscience, can you track that back to a time when you were young? And I uh, just would love to hear the backstory on how you got into this this industry, this field. Uh, Anne-Marie, I kind of stumbled upon it by complete accident. And I've got to say, I carried my brain around in my head for about 40 <laughs> years before I paid it any attention. Mm-hmm. And it was introduced to me um, by a, a colleague, said, hey, I think you should look at this neuroscience. It kind of fits with the things you're interested in. And I thought, neuroscience? Oh, gosh, no, I finished science at school and I never wanted to look at science again. But I very politely decided I would, you know, have a little look and the lights went on for me and I thought, oh, my goodness, here is the evidence I've been searching for when I work with leaders, when I'm working with organisations about the things that I know are really important that work and the things that don't work well. Mm. So I decided I better find out some more about this. So I um, did a whole bunch of going to conferences and I read lots of stuff and I did postgraduate studies in neuroscience of leadership. And what was really interesting is that I'd be at these conferences and I'd be sitting next to these really smart people and we'd all be hearing the same content from neuroscientists and some really interesting, particularly from cognitive social neuroscience. Mm. And the, the light bulbs would be going off for me. I couldn't write down my thoughts fast enough about what it meant for how I work and how I lead and how I support others to be better leaders. And uh, then, uh, you know, they'd finish their talk and the people beside me would turn to me and say, well, that's all very interesting, but what does it mean? And, <sighs> and I went, ah, oh, someone needs to translate this stuff. And so that's mm. what I've been doing for 11 years now is I've been translating these really interesting neuroscience concepts and the whole idea that the brain drives behaviour and 
into the so what. What does that mean for how mm. we can lead better, how we can manage change, how we make better decisions, etc. Well, thank goodness that you've been able to do that because otherwise I'm sure there would be lots of great information out there, but we're just not bringing it into the practical centre, but into the boardroom, into it, how we run our businesses. You said that you've been carrying your brain around for the first 40 years of your life in your head, not mm. really taking it any or giving it any mind. We often do too. It's our greatest asset, you say, yet we often take it for granted. Let's speak a little bit more about this. I think one of the things that we don't understand is how much our brain drives behaviour. And I kind of think about it a little bit as um, imagine you're driving, you know, you're in a car uh, and you're in the back seat. You don't have much control over what happens in the car, do you? And I think a lot of people are in the backseat of their, their brain. They're not the driver. They're not actually harnessing their brain to get it to work for them. So mm. we know that um, people um, experience what we call going limbic. So that's that limbic arousal. But we're not very good at managing that in the moment. So mm. if we can learn to do that, we actually end up being much more productive. We end up being able to manage ourselves much better. We don't spread emotion contagion. So I think it's something that, when I share this information with people, I, I, I'm not surprised that I find a whole bunch of other people that haven't really paid their brain much attention. Mm. But once they start to understand and learn how they can leverage their neurobiology to work for them and, and uh, tap into this great asset, then they find that they improve their productivity, their decision making is enhanced, their relationships are improved. Mm -hmm. I think also too, you're saying about tapping into um, this greatest asset and leveraging it. I also think too, from the viewpoint of taking care of it, we only have one brain and how we mm -hmm. use it. And in, in some instances, for some of us, you know, the things that we do or don't do actually ends up, yeah, abusing it. And so we want to make sure that we are taking care of the greatest asset. When it then comes to, to leadership and, and leveraging, where do you see some of the greatest uh, areas of or, or insights that we can take away that would see an immediate impact on our productivity? What are some things that you see that we sh or should be doing or maybe not doing in our workplace? I, I think one of the thing, things I've been speaking a lot about recently at conferences and with, um, with people that I work with is We've entered into this digital age, which is great, you know, and we've got all these this fantastic technology that's supposed to support us and enhance our productivity. One of the things I think we haven't done is learnt how to have an intentional relationship with technology. And there's a really wonderful book by a woman called Sherry Turkle called Reclaiming Conversations. And mm. she believes the impacts of the digital age are a bit like climate change. They're, they're sneaking up on us and we don't really understand fully their impact. So one of the things we know, for example, is um, attention is a limited resource and yet we treat uh, employees as commodities with endless amounts of attention and that's mm -hmm. just not possible. We cannot be switched on all day long. And what's happening with the impact of digital technology is we're actually seeing changes in brain structure. So we're seeing um, greater left brain activation, which actually has impacts on concentration, on memory, mm. on um, our capacity to have empathy. So so I, I guess one of the things we need to start to learn um, in this digital age is how, are, how is technology helping us and how is it sabotaging our productivity? Mm. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a quick example. We know for when you're on the verge of an insight or you're working on what we call you know, heavy thinking tasks, and we all have to do that as part of our day-to-day -day work. When you're kind of in that deep 
you know, zone and your email alert pops up and, and uh, you, it, it goes bing. Mm-hmm. We know that because the brain's wired for novelty, we can't kind of res- resist the urge um, to have a look at that email. And we're also biologically um, wired for noticing threats. So it could be a threat. It could be that email might be something that will help us or harm us. Mm-hmm. We can't resist looking at it. Exactly. But when we do that, we lose all of the connections and the wiring that's kind of in place in your brain in that moment. And it can take up to 23 minutes to get back into that productive zone. Mm-hmm. So if you- if you start adding up 23 minutes of lost productivity for every interruption that you experience in a day, it's no wonder people are saying, I'm exhausted. Or when you say, how are you? People go, I'm busy. And then it becomes kind of like the busyness badge of honour. Mm. My, my theory is, actually, I don't know if we are busier, but we're losing so many productive minutes in our day that we feel like we're having to work longer and harder. Sometimes too, I notice that I have different times of the day where I'm able to think a lot, you know, deeper thoughts. Mm. And so particularly early in the morning and even sometimes late late at night. So for me, if I start a thought process quite late at night, I know that my brain will start working and I'll never get to, get to sleep. But recognising that, I think, is very important too, isn't it? So that we can make sure mm. that when we know that our brain is at its optimal create that environment and and allow yourself then to do the work that requires more thinking that kind of thing rather than um, trying as you said to to stretch that throughout the day when perhaps you may not be at your best do you see that this is also something that people aren't aware of absolutely and I get I really love another book um, by Cal Newport called deep work so he talks Mm. about deep work as the exactly what you're saying it's where we're doing that really um, deep thinking that leads us to have um, insights and be creative and innovative. And we know that people often, the first thing they do when they walk into or sit at their desk or start their work day or even before their feet even land on the floor or they do it in bed, they're looking at emails. Mm. Now, that, that's what he would refer to as shallow work. And so we know that you lose the time when your brain is at its best and when you, it's freshest and most productive we wasted doing really meaning, meaningless things. Mm-hmm. So what you're suggesting I think is really important that if you know when your productive times are, then you chunk that out in your diary. That's your thinking time. Mm-hmm. And I, I love um, some of the people I've worked with, One, uh, they in kind of understanding this about their brain, they've decided that in their workplace they've instituted the hour of power. Now, the hour of power is an hour that's in every single person's diary, and that's their deep thinking time, and they're not allowed to schedule any meetings in that time. They're not allowed to look at emails. So I, I think it's those, and these are not difficult practices practices to implement. It's actually understanding what the benefits are for mm. people and um, and becoming quite, you know, uh, did, uh, did, you know, quite ordered and how you do that Mm. I think you have to like with anything in life isn't it you have to set that intention you have to get that in your diary because Mm. it's just kind of like okay I got five minutes let's I have to do some deep thinking I mean putting yourself under pressure like that knowing you've got a myriad of other things on your your to-do list and just being distracted is just not uh, the right environment I think a self-awareness is so important and once we understand um, you know what what does energize us I know for me I'm I'm an extra Introverted, introvert. So if I spend a lot of time with people and I've had two solid days full of networking today, well, today I'm now interviewing, I'm behind my computer um, and love speaking with people, but I know if I don't 
schedule in my day chunks of time where I can sit and just be in my own presence, my brain is just going to go, mm-hmm, there is no way you're going to get me working for you. I am drained. So we just need to give ourselves yeah. permission, don't we? Absolutely. And, and, you know, when you're trying to work with a, a tired brain, you're, you have a great, a much greater tendency to procrastinate. Yes. And, you know, that, that doesn't work for people either. And we know that when you're working on something that's kind of not your favourite thing, after about 20 to 25 minutes, your brain's, you know, which is so wired for novelty, is saying, hey, uh, why don't you do something a bit different? And that's when we, you know, kind of surf the net or mm. look at our social media and, and then an hour goes by and we go, oh, goodness. If instead you work in what we call 20, 25-minute sprints, when you're doing something that you don't particularly love, mm -hmm. then that's working with your brain as opposed to fighting against it. Goodness, there's so many different areas, I think, about talking about how we can really leverage our brain. We could do a whole week's worth of episode on that, I we think. We could. <laughs> but let's talk about the power of mindset. It's been key to a great leader. I mean, mindset, I think, underpins everything. We can have the best systems, the best processes, the best structure in place. But if we're not checking in with our mindset, all of that support structure and process just won't have the impact if we don't have the right mindset, yes? Yeah, I think we're learning a lot about mindset and, you know, we have um, some really wonderful thinkers to thank for that. So mm. if you think about people like Carol Dweck, who talks about growth mindset as opposed to fixed mindset, she talked initially about that in relation to students. Mm -hmm. So we know that people that have a uh, fixed mindset are very reluctant to make mistakes. They find it difficult to learn new things. So they're, they're much, and they're often quite change wary, if you like. Um, people with a growth mindset, they're willing to try new things. They're willing to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. They're kind of a little bit more open to taking risks. So, and some of what her research is showing in from an organisational perspective is when we have an organisation with a growth mindset, we see higher levels of trust, we see higher levels of engagement, we see higher levels of in innovation, and you know, for um, for-profit companies, we see. Uh, better returns mm. so so and one one of the interesting things about mindset is it, it can be changed yes. it's not something that is is um uh, you know in place forever it's about actually understanding your mindset do i have a fixed mindset or do i have a growth mindset and if i have a fixed mindset how what kind of things can i do to start adopting more of a growth mindset and mm. we know it, it, it you know the brain is highly plastic we can change yes. uh, it just takes some effort and focus and attention so so that's one area the, the other area of mindset that i think there's been some research around recently is is the idea of stress so you know we've had all of these programs kind of saying we have to get better at managing stress and we have to become resilient when in fact what we know about stress is our mindset about stress impacts our whole physiology. So mm. if we see stress as something that can support us and uh, Kelly McGonigal, she talks about this idea that you see stress as a challenge response, that it's actually um, providing the adrenaline and, and the oxygen and what we need to be able to perform at our best. If we view it in that way, we see stress as an enhancing mindset mm. as opposed to stress as a debilitating mindset. And we know that that impacts on your whole physiology. And in fact, They've looked at research that shows the health outcomes when you have a stress as enhancing, um, even though you experience high levels of stress, you have um, 
much better health outcomes than someone that has um, moderate levels of stress wow. but sees stress as bad for them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess it's mindset is something we can think about and we can make it work for us. So the key question for your listeners is to think about, well, what is your mindset around, mm. um, you know, do you have a growth or a fixed mindset? Do you have a stress is bad for you or stress is good for you mindset? And again, these things change our whole physiology. So yeah. as you're talking uh, or saying that about, you know, your mindset towards stress, I know that in some instances where there is pressure, where there is what people would call quite stressful, that is when I'll often and click into action and it's just boom 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 things mm -hmm. done yet when there's plenty of time I can then tend to procrastinate so I know for mm -hmm. me putting some clear boundaries and having a little bit of that stress actually fires me up you know those challenges mm -hmm. actually get me going but as you say mm -hmm. it it is our mindset also to growth or fixed mindset and you know sometimes we can support ourselves don't you think by putting into to place a structure that we know is going to support us as someone who may be a little bit averse to change may require some various steps before that so that they've got some answers to questions that they will oft, often like to have, you know, information in front mm -hmm. of them before they make a decision. So what, it's really being aware of it, isn't it? And then seeing what can support me. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I guess in the moment when you're uh, making a decision or you're involved in a process, you can be saying to yourself, is that the fixed mindset voice speaking mm. in my head? What would the growth mindset voice say? So that, you, yeah, you can have some little tips like that that help you to think about how you could approach things in yes. a different way. Yeah. And I think often sometimes we don't see um, areas in how we approach things, how we think about things, how we respond to things, and that keeps us stuck. So I think self-awareness and how we do tend to mm. respond is one of the greatest learnings because when we know better, we can do better by, you know, taking different actions or, or having, as you say, different beliefs uh, around something that can change. The fact that we can change, as you said, you know, our brain and certainly our beliefs around certain things is just incredible. I mean, and we're just really at the beginning of this, the science, aren't we? And, and, and what people know about you, about the brain. Uh, it's just fascinating. Yeah, we are at, at the beginning. You know, there's so much we don't, we still mm. don't know about the brain and I think we'll learn more and more. But there is enough about what we yes. know right now for mm. people to actually be tapping into their greatest oh, yes. asset and doing some things differently. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about, because I know people are thinking, what is this other intelligence? We've heard of the emotional and social intelligence, both are very important, as we've said, to um, to be great leaders. But there's another intelligence that's critical, you're saying, being able to enact both our emotional and social intelligence, as well as manage our focus and environments when we are highly distracted and highly overwhelmed. What is this mm. other intelligence it's an intelligence I call attentional intelligence mm. and if you think about it kind of um, as three components three equal components that I believe are really critical to being a great leader what I noticed um, for myself many years ago is I, I had great social and emotional intelligence um, but I also had this thing that I call bright shiny object syndrome and maybe some of your listeners have that as well yes. easily distracted love novelty you know looking for the next um, new thing. And so it meant that I was never the boss of my attention. My attention bossed me around. Mm. And, and I was drawn to concepts of mindfulness. And I love the idea of mindfulness and being present in the moment. And I guess what I started to think is, is there a different kind of intelligence that I need to be developing because I'm not so good at keeping my attention focused? And so um, on the back of a sick bag on the way to Bangkok, 
I um, came up with um, this notion of attentional intelligence and I started to think, well, what are the key components of a attentional intelligence? And there's, there's three key components and the first one is metasensing and, and that's essentially understanding how you're feeling, noticing if you're experiencing some of those, that limbic arousal which would indicate, you know, you've got a physiological response to um, something that's happening in, in your environment. Mm. So it's noticing that and we actually know that even just saying, I'm feeling, you know, sad, mad, happy, whatever whatever you're feeling in the moment or I'm feeling a little bit limbic, when you actually say that, it, it actually dampens down your limbic arousal which is really important because when you go limbic, you lose the capacity to think clearly, to make decisions, to plan, decide, etc. Mm. So that, that's the first component. The second component is noticing what's happening. It's called metacognition. So noticing what's happening in your thinking space. So what's happening in your executive brain at that moment? Is it a useful narrative? Is it an unhelpful narrative? So it could, you know, if you link this to the growth and fixed mindset, it could be a fixed mindset narrative and, mm -hmm. you know, is that really helping you in the moment? And the third component is metafocus. So noticing where your attention's placed and is it where you want it to be? Is it aligned to your goals? And if it's not, to bring it gently back. So the attentional intelligence is essentially um, the capacity to uh, effortlessly um, but mindfully notice where your attention is at any moment and to bring it back to where you want it to be. That is incredible because how often can we get distracted and un unfocused and I thought, you know, I can just see, but this happens, at a, it can happen at a split second, but obviously when we're starting to change or become more aware of it, we have to do so intentionally, don't we? We have to really stop. What am I sensing? How do I feel? Um, as, as you say. So what have you noticed? Because I'm sure you're doing this quite regularly. What are some of the differences you're now seeing in how you approach your work and, and productivity? Very much. I'm very mindful of where my attention is moment by moment. Mm. And I've become very good at being able to focus it and keep it where I want it to be. And I, I think it's probably increased my product, improved my productivity by at least 30%. Wow. Yeah. Some of the people I've shared this with have actually said their productivity has improved by 50%, which is pretty Incredible. phenomenal. Yes. And the, the other thing I think that is really key, if you link it back to the concepts of social and emotional intelligence, so you're in a meeting and what do we see at meetings? We see people with their devices and you're, you know, you're a leader, you're, in the meeting, you're dividing your attention between your people and your device. And something happens in the meeting, your attention's on your device. You miss the microfacial expressions of the other people that might indicate a sense of distress or that they're mm. feeling a little bit limbic. So you actually miss that opportunity to say, you know, hey, Anne-Marie, um, you're looking a bit uncomfortable with what John's just said. Mm -hmm. Are you okay with it? So it, what I guess what I'm saying with, with these three intelligences, if you aren't keeping your attention focused in the moment and being present, then you might miss those subtle cues that allow you to enact your social intelligence. So I think that that's what people are missing is, yep, great to have social and emotional intelligence, but are we missing opportunities to even um, exercise those. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes those um, those cues can happen in an instant 
And if we are distracted by a device or whatever else is going on, as you say, we can't pick that up. And, you know, moments that um, mm. could have given us some indication on what that other person is experiencing, feeling, that kind of thing, could have opened up a wonderful conversation to, to have. Also, too, because I can imagine when we are distracted in this, this way, I mean, there's been studies that have done that multitasking is where we used to think that was a great skill. And I've shared this many a time where I've delivered deleted my entire website because I was multitasking and then oh, did I just press that red button and did that just say warning warning and I was on the phone and doing something else so and that kind of is like multitasking we're trying to listen to someone else we're looking at our device and it's just not healthy for for any of us and it's certainly not um, impacting positively our productivity yes Absolutely. If your leave, listeners take nothing away from this conversation, nothing else away, <laughs> stop multitasking now. Yes. Their research is absolutely clear. Mm. We can only pay attention to one thing at a time. So biologically, our brain can only pay attention to one thing at a time. So when we're switching between one task and another, uh, it can have you know really dire consequences like losing your whole website, Anne-Marie. Yes. But we also know that it's um, in the neuroscience literature, they refer to this as task switching. So you switch your attention from one thing to another. Mm. Every time you switch your attention, you actually drain your brain's battery. So it tires the brain out. And, you know, some people would suggest, look, if you're going to be a serial multi multitasker, you might as well be smoking marijuana mm. because it, it actually impacts on your cognitive function to that degree. And, you know, I know that um, a lot of your listeners are women and I always feel like I'm letting the sisterhood down when I say this, but um, women aren't any better at multitasking than men. Mm. Uh, so we know that when you are multitasking, you actually miss out on very crucial um, aspects of what's going around you. So again, going back to the meeting example, when your attention's focused on your device, because biologically we can only pay attention to one thing at a time and we need to pay full attention to be able to remember anything, mm -hmm. we miss big chunks of what's going on. So it does not improve productivity. It actually uh, sabotages your productivity. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's an interesting thing that you said too, that it really impacts our memory. So how often do we, um, well, I know I do, uh, sort of think, now what was I doing again? And you have to, mm. I'll have to go back to a room. Okay, now what was I doing? Ah, okay, that, that's what I was doing. Mm. Because there is so much information being bombarded uh, into our brain. Something, as you were saying there, about doing different activities and switching from one activity to another I would imagine that that's why batching similar tasks together and working on those is so good because our brain is using the same processes and doesn't require a lot of switching and, and that's why batching tasks similar tasks together works so well yes is that correct in the assumption Absolutely, Anne-Marie, and I would refer to that batching. I really like that term, actually. I haven't heard that before. Batching as chunking. So ah, chunking, yes. chunking your tasks together mm. so that you actually, as you say, you're working on, a, a you know, the same components that, um, and that can be less tiring for the brain. I think it's also important to still meet the brain's need for novelty because often we will multitask because we're trying to meet the, the brain's need for novelty. So mm. if you're working on a particular aspect of, of a task, so you know if you're writing, say, a report and you've got to the point where your brain is 
really struggling for some novelty, it's it, it might be useful to say, okay, well, I know I need to pick a couple of images. So how about I switch to a different part of this chunked out task uh, in order to meet the brain's need for novelty. Mm -hmm. So so you can still work in chunks. And it, again, it's working with your brain as opposed to fighting against your brain. I absolutely could speak to you all day. This is so fascinating, this, because it really has absolute impact in the work that we do. And I, everything you say, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's been times where I have been interviewing someone and my brain is just firing on all cylinders because it's a very new area that, that I'm learning. Mm -hmm. So I know if someone's speaking to me about something that I've known and many guests have explained, I can start to doodle. And that, that is what you're saying is, is kind of the novelty. Your brain has to do something yeah. different. Um, amazing. How can people find out more and, and share a little bit more about the work that you do specifically? How are you integrating this in the work that you're doing? I think you mentioned early on that we've been delivering a um, accredited program. We actually just found out yesterday that um, an advanced diploma of neuroscience of leadership has been accredited. So oh, we're very wonderful. excited. So that's one of the few credentials in the in the world that um, are available. I, I guess we we work with um, individuals and organisations uh, based on what their need is. So mm -hmm. there are. Um, what we call brain bites, which are smaller chunks. If people are just wanting to get a bit of a taster or a little bit of an entree, mm -hmm. if you like, in in um, experiencing some of these ideas. So, so if we work with individuals. We work with whole organisations. In fact, we're working with um, about to start work with a whole organisation where all of the leaders are going through a 12-month neuroscience of leadership program, and all of the staff are being exposed to our smaller chunks of brain bites. So we'll be really interested to see how the engagement levels change over time. We're going to do some research on this, um, stress levels, absenteeism rates, workers' compensation, all of that sort of thing. So, Oh, fantastic. Well, you know, once you get some of those, um, you know, the feedback from your studies, you need to come back round willing to feature you again because uh, I think this is just so important. We, we know there are, is a lot of demands that we have on our team, but also for women who are working in their own businesses when you're thinking about how this is going to impact your growing mm. team. This is, um, I think, an area which just makes so much sense. And as we know, we're always looking at, at ways and to increase our performance mm -hmm. but also I think that's being aware of what are we doing that is actually minimizing so we're not starting off on the right foot we're not creating the right environment so you know there's only so much energy or so much that our brain can do and if we're draining that before we even get started I think you know there's no hope that we can can optimize mm -hmm. our performance can we that's absolutely correct and I, I think one of the interesting things is we've actually found women are, are, um, have a greater appetite for these ideas at, at the present moment. That mm. may change over time. Mm -hmm. And interesting, the research shows that women um, uh, actually outperform men as leaders once they get past the 40-year mark. And some of the research is suggesting that women, once they get past the 40-year mark, as opposed to men, they, they continue to engage in professional development, yes. self-improvement. And secondly, they continue to ask for feedback from colleagues. Mm. So it's kind of interesting that women uh, seem a little bit more on board with this whole idea of harnessing their greatest asset, their brain. Yeah. Um, we're hoping that the men will catch up, but uh, it's interesting that women, <laughs> Here we go. Have, um, women are leading really the way. connected yeah. with these ideas. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And Linda, what is the best way for people to reach out to you and find out more about um, these incredible accredited programs that you're running? Uh, they can visit our website, 
www.neuresourcegroup.com.au. Um, I'm also on Twitter at uh, NeuroCapability. Terrific. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely chatting with you. Oh, it certainly has. So I'm sure you listening today have taken away some incredible nuggets. Please reach out to Linda, find out more. As you can tell from what she's been sharing today, it's valuable information and props to all of those women who are going out and, and you know doing that professional development, getting feedback, because it's ultimately going to impact you, your performance and those that you are there to support in your team. So if this is the very first time that you're joining us today, listening to the show, thank you so much. It's been such an honor make sure you subscribe to the show and also reach out to linda we'll put all of her contact details to connect with her online on our show notes all you need to do is go to ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com forward slash wil67 ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com forward slash wil67 and you can click through and get all of those details from linda as well as subscribe to the show other than that have a fantastic week everyone see you later linda Thanks, Anne-Marie. Hi, it's Anne-Marie. Have you enjoyed listening to the show and have thought about creating your own podcast so you too can become an influential voice in your industry, but you just don't know where to start? I've created a special gift just for you. It's my free mini training, Podcasting with Purpose, where you'll learn what you need to do to stand out, be heard and influence your audience from your very first podcast. I'm also giving you my step-by-step podcast production workflow checklist, including the tools I use, as well as a checklist of no-cost and low-cost tools to get you started. To access, go to annemariecross.com forward slash mini training. That's annemariecross.com forward slash mini training. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.